Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, we've encountered you in worship. We've encountered you uh, through the uh, amazing stories of what you're doing in the hearts of, uh, of our young people. We're so grateful for that. And we just say this morning we want to encounter you uh, in your word. We want to encounter you in the scriptures, Father. Uh, we know that uh, the word works in, in so many ways, that it, uh, it touches our minds, that, that we process it cognitively and we simply learn things from it. We want that to happen, Father. Uh, we know that it uh, touches our hearts and uh, causes us to feel things, feel passion for you and love for you and inspires us to do things that you're calling us to do. So we want that to happen, God. And we want that amazing mystical thing to happen that uh, it actually transforms us as we read it. Apart from anything I would say as a preacher, just reading your word, Lord, um, we know changes us. So as we engage with your scriptures, uh, we just ask, Lord, that you will uh, make us new. We open ourselves up to that. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we've been uh, in the middle of a security uh, series, a series on what it means to kind of be secure as people, what it means to... Uh, be grounded in a whole bunch of different areas of our lives, in our financial life, in our personal life, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in our financial uh, life, our, our careers, our home life, our family, our relationships. And uh, part of the thing that we've been trying to do is we've just sort of uh, looked at that and, and asked those questions is, um, we've asked ourselves this question actually almost every week, when does God actually want us to feel secure? Uh, because when we look at uh, security and what we sort of imagine about it, uh, you know, when we think about security, we think of having, you know, a nice retirement package and a good insurance plan and uh, a nice home and uh, nobody's angry at us or cranky with us and uh, we're doing well in our careers. We sort of imagining that uh, what would be described from that old movie, uh, Jerry Maguire, as the Quan, that perfect uh, sort of situation where you've got community and life and resource and everything just flowing beautifully. But if you look at the New Testament, of course, you see uh, the lives of these incredibly secure people like the Apostle Paul, uh, who had this amazing uh, journey of being whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and all of this kind of crazy stuff going on in his life. So security for Paul wasn't purely based on his circumstances uh, as, as we imagine, but at the same time you hear this heart of the Father that's just speaking all the way through the Psalms, all the way through uh, even the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, talking about how Israel would live uh, securely in the hands of God. And we know that God wants us to have a sense of being really grounded in him, a sense of being, uh, being okay. Uh, so, so what does that really mean for us? And what does that mean for us in particular as, as people? God does want us to have a deep sense of security in him. And what we've been learning in this series is that uh, sometimes... Uh, the path to that security is, is counterintuitive. It's not exactly uh, what we'd imagine. God has always a different way of, uh, of growing us, of teaching us. Uh, so we looked at things like financial security. We find so much security through giving away our finances, through generosity. We find uh, all kinds of uh, amazing things like that in the scripture. So as we look at these different things, home security, job security, financial security, personal security, and looking ahead to spiritual security, um, we really want to be grounded in what God has for us. And that's what it's really about. So what we're talking about this week is uh, personal security. What might it mean for us to have a deep sense of security in who we are as people? Isn't that something that we, we struggle with, we wrestle with? How many of you have felt as a person uh, in different parts of your life just 
insecure about who you are, about do you fit in this place? Do you belong in this place? Uh, am I okay as being just who I am? Right? That's something that we, we wrestle with. Um, so what does that mean? Well, there's uh, some different perspectives that are out there in the world that we can look at. Uh, here's a quote from uh, Charlotte Bronte, who wrote uh, Jane Eyre. I'm no bird, and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will. A sense of security that comes from being independent and disconnected. Um, Coco Chanel, a girl should be two things, who and what she wants. That's, uh, that's uh, from Life Lessons from the World's Most Elegant Woman, the Gospel According to Coco Chanel. It's a, a source that we should really look to uh, as people for all kinds of wisdom and, uh, and guidance in, in our lives. Uh, Steve Jobs, don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. I'm talking about someone who's like a fiercely independent uh, designer person, um, head of this amazing uh, company that creates so much better products than Android. Um, <laughs> speaking of getting stoned and persecuted, uh, uh, one of the, here's another one. One of the great tragedies of life is to lose your own sense of self and accept the version of you that is expected by everyone else. And so these are sort of pop culture uh, definitions of what security means, right? Security means being identified uh, as, as who you want to be identified as, a, a being yourself, being free to be who you are. That's sort of the, the definition that you would expect when you go out to culture, when you go to our friends and neighbors, to, to ask them what it might mean to be secure. Um, but we have other perspectives. Uh, through others, we become ourselves. Or, or Gandhi, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That doesn't sound like Coco Chanel's way. Who we can listen to, Gandhi or Coco Chanel, right? Um, all of us take pride and pleasure in the fact that we are unique, but I'm afraid that when all is said and done, the police are right. It just comes down to fingerprints. <laughs> I mean, at least, at least that's something we can count on that's truly, truly unique. Uh, so apart from this question about what it might mean for us to have true security in who we are, the question, of course, is about... Uh, having security in who God's made us to be. And so the question that we can ask, we can ask a lot of different questions about what security means and maybe find some answers in the scriptures. Uh, one, is it about being secure in our personalities? That's a pretty good question. Have any of you done any sort of online personality tests or, or even through your work or through employment and career development done uh, different indices? I've done Myers-Briggs. I do Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTP. I'm extroverted, intuitive, thinking, perceiving. It sort of makes sense of who I am uh, generally as a, as a person. If I do the Colby test, I'm a 3393, which means that I'm way out of balance. And my main thing is that I'm a, I'm a quick start. I can get into something. I can do something new. I don't have to have a lot of planning, a lot of preparation. I could plant a church with uh, no funding at all, and I'll be just fine trying that out. And here you all are. Right? That's, uh, that's part, of, uh, part of our journey. Um, uh, if I do the DISC test, I'm a DI, dominant, inspiring sort of personality. So I've done the DISC test, and that uh, turns out that I really like to tell people what to do, um, which, is, which is really true. It's, it's sort of a natural kind of way that I flow. If I do Enneagram, if I do the uh, Eclectic Energies Enneagram test, I turn out to be a 7W8. 
and I really uh, grow if I'm, uh, if I'm stressed out, I move to a five, I can't remember what that is. Uh, and if I'm in a growth phase, I'm, uh, I'm a one. I don't know what that means even hardly. I, I don't know Enneagram all that well. But if I do an Enneagram uh, ready test, I'm an eight W7. Eight with a seven wing, which means that I'm, again, pointing to uh, the leadership director, similar to the disc thing that fits. There's lots to learn from the Enneagram deal. But if I do my uh, PCDP uh, score, I'm an EX 9.8, TM 1.1, IN 8.1, SC 3.0, which I did that in 2003. I don't remember any of that at all. So, except that it said that I should be a broadcaster or something. So, so, so that's super helpful. And then just yesterday when I was uh, tweaking this sermon, I did a random ink blot test on the web, which was really fun. So I turned out to be expressive, intelligent, aware, and dark. And I, and, and I, think, I think that's because I kept choosing the bat or the skinned animal. I think that's the, I mean, I'm an outdoorsy person. I think it's just because I'm outdoorsy, but... If you see skinned animals in a bl- ink blot test, it's probably because they think you're dark. So, I don't know. Do you think I'm dark? I don't know. Uh, uh, we'll take a poll. So, anyway, all of this makes me an ENTP3393DI7W8, and all of that, which is also, incidentally, my Google email passcode. Uh, in case any of you uh, need to get into my, my Gmail, that is how you do it right there. Nobody, please take a photograph of that. Um, but all of it points to. Uh, this sort of space in terms of who I am as a person, uh, it points to a career profile that suggests I should be a creative, entrepreneurial, executive leader with an emphasis on speaking, stage, or broadcast communications, or otherwise a pastor. Um, the other thing that always comes up when I do these tests and looking at, you know, because they correlate them with different uh, sort of probable career paths, is apart from these sort of uh, leadership things, I always come out as a giftware buyer. Uh, so that's uh, just just a, an outlier that just fits, you know, kind of off the thing. So I know I've got if this thing church thing blows up for me, I've got a good fallback. I'm going I'm going to go buy some pottery, I think. So anyway, but but is that really where our confidence is in? Like these are these are helpful things, right? To know who we are as people. Uh, if you look at all these tests, you know, there's some correlations, and there's a lot of things that you can learn about who you are. And, uh, and you, can, you can celebrate in a very uh, general way what God has made you to be. And we see that in the Psalms. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it full well. So there's something to be really valued in understanding a little bit about who you are and who God has made you to be. He's crafted something really amazing and special when he's made you but at the same time, we balance that with things like Romans uh, chapter eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn, uh, that you might be the firstborn among many brothers, or that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's a way in which God, as we said, uh, you know, a hundred times, God loves you just the way you are. And just a little bit too much to leave you that way, right? There's a way that we're engaging in a process that is ultimately uh, going to be transformative in our lives. So is it about having confidence in your personality? It is, and it isn't quite. There's something more there for you. Is it about us being secure in our religious or cultural practices? Because a lot of us find security in just, you know, maybe even security in being Christian or security in... 
you know, a, a religious background, security in being a Baptist, security in being, you know, wherever it is that you're coming from. Uh, but we hear Paul saying this, he says, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I, I become as a Jew. So he surrenders uh, his cultural practice in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law. To the weak, I become weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, but that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with him in his blessings. Share with them in his blessings. So there's a malleability to Paul, this incredible secure person, an ability to take who he is and who God's made him to be and to step into different situations and different places in life and to surrender who his natural self is in a certain way or who his natural, what his natural practices are and to begin to act in a, in a little bit of a different way in order to connect with people that are there. So there's a way in which he uh, takes his personality or his culture and he makes that subservient to the need of the gospel. It's an important piece for us uh, to hold in balance with valuing and understanding of who we are as people. Uh, Is it about us being secure in our personal boundaries? Because that's a piece of what we uh, we really want to to do as people. Like we really like to have people around us who are healthy and who are stable and who are like us. How many of you just love people like you? (laughs) Right? Those are the best people ever. Oh man, you're so much like me. Like let's grab a cup of coffee right? That's just a natural tendency we have. We collect people like ourselves. But it says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Uh, This bearing with one another in the NLT is translated very interestingly in a way that sort of challenges us uh, to a certain degree. It says, make room for one another's faults. Oh, dang. (laughs) make room for others' faults in your life. That, that doesn't make me comfortable at all. What does that mean? And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Uh, into the design of the kingdom and the way God called the world uh, to operate, he intended there to be a way for us to deal with uh, the brokenness of one another in each other's lives, to create space for that and to deal with it as it happens that we can't demand perfection around us in order to feel personally secure. There's a way in which uh, we're tolerant not only of ourselves, but of others. I'm super tolerant of me. I really am really tolerant of me. I just think sometimes I can really do well with me in the room. It can be fantastic. But it's the others in the room that, that, that always challenge us. So is it about personal boundaries? Yes, boundaries are important, but there's mechanisms to let people inside Uh, that safe place in your life to make that work. That's something that challenges us constantly as people. Is it about having an ability not to be affected by others' faults? Right? Bear one another's burdens. We talked about this just in the last slide. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What? Bear one another's burdens. Oh man, I can barely handle my own responsibility for my own life. Right? Right? This is a really interesting one to unpack and so fulfill the law of Christ for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, the part of me that doesn't want to bear anybody else's burdens is, is a, a prideful thing when I imagine, like, well, I can't get under anybody else's burdens because I'm kind of above them, right? That's a, that's a thing that we wrestle with. 
But it says this, it goes on, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbors, for each will have to bear his own load. What, what is he saying here? He starts this paragraph with bear one another's burdens and ends it with each person bearing his own load. Well, what is your load? Your load is that other person's burdens. Your load is that other person's burdens. Uh, the, the key to understanding this passage is in the middle. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself and in, and in himself alone and not his neighbor. What Paul's saying there is that it's not our purpose, it's not our objective, it's not our role as people to test and evaluate and judge what's going on in another's life. It's not our role to be discerners of the problems in other people's hearts. That's not our place. It's so clear in Jesus' teaching about how we're not meant to judge like that. So we take a person as they are. We take them with their faults and their brokenness. And as, as a pastor, as a person, this has not been something that I've been good at. Because there's something in me that, that uh, is almost comforted at times. And, and we see this in others. That it can almost be comforted by seeing the brokenness in others. Because it can make us feel better about ourselves, right? That's a terrible trap that we're in. That we can be in as people. So it's not our job to evaluate the faults of others, uh, to list them, to figure them out. It's just our place to love them and bear them. And we trust the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to people. That's not my job. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Uh, I I, I need to be self-evaluative. I need to test my own work. And, and wrestle with that, that's enough for me. That's enough of a challenge for me because I've got lots of faults to weigh and test without me worrying about everybody else's. Right? Anybody else, anybody else in the same camp? Am I talking to the humans in the room? Right? This is our, this is our deal. So it's, not a, it's about having ability, uh, it's not about having ability to not be affected by others' faults. In fact, we actually carry them for other people. We make accommodation for one another's faults. We forgive and then we just trust the Holy Spirit to be the transformative power in other people's lives because I simply can't do it. I simply don't have the strength. I can barely do me, to be honest. I just barely can. Um, <coughs> is it about having an ability to disconnect emotionally from pain? Because when we think of security, we think of like not feeling a lot of pain. Isn't that right? Secure is like I am in my house coat in the living room with my feet up, I don't even have a fireplace, but if there's a fireplace, I'd be looking at the fireplace with some nice Christmas music on, reading a good book. That's like that's what feels like secure to me, right? And and feeling joyful, feeling happy all of, all the time. But uh, we have Paul saying, besides everything else, and we read this earlier in the series, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. If you look at a literal translation of that, him feeling the pressures, I'm literally sick with concern. For all the churches. Well, wait a second. Like, this is these are these are churches that are out there, and somehow they're affecting Paul, this incredibly secure person's emotional state. He he he's carrying that in a way that touches him, and he and he brings it more specifically. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? He's identifying with uh, people's wrestlings in a really deep way. 
right? If somebody is falling into sin, I'm like, oh man, this hurts me. He's letting that affect him. He's letting that affect his life. We certainly see it in the life of Jesus uh, when Lazarus passed away, when Lazarus died, and, and he's dealing with the unbelief of, of the people around Lazarus, and he's dealing with uh, his own grief, and it says he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble, troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So Jesus wasn't a robot. We imagine that God, uh, being who he is, we think of these big words about the personality of God, omnipotent, omniscient, so all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable, unchanging. These big theological words for God. And we imagine that he's above everything in a way that uh, he, his relationship with us is disconnected, that he just sort of sees us and computes uh, the myriad of human situations and the incredible complexity of the world we live in and that only like an amazing supercomputer could compute all of that. But he hasn't distanced himself to be a purely logical being. Uh, theologically, we call it the self-limitation of God, that he allows himself to be impacted by the suffering of you and me. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus knew what was going to happen with, with Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he knew there was a party that was coming, right? He knew it. He was God. But in that moment, he let himself enter into the pain that he was experienced for that moment of separation between him and Lazarus across the chasm of death and the grief and pain of those people around him. He let that touch him. So it's not about being uh, able to disconnect emotionally from pain. Uh, and then we see this, you know, so clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, Jesus knows exactly what is about to happen here. In fact, in the verses before uh, this story of him in the Garden of Gethsemane and his time uh, before the crucifixion, uh, it says, and the Father knew what was, or, and Jesus knew what was about to come to pass. It says, and he knelt down and he began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Like, take this thing away. Yet not my will but yours be done. And it says, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So here's Jesus. He's got an angel strengthening you. How many of you wouldn't mind having like your personal angel like hanging around strengthening you whenever you feel grief? Maybe we have that invisible. I don't know. I, I don't know. We could have a whole different uh, teaching on, uh, on your own personal angel and whether we have one or not. That we could talk to Billy Graham about that. If he was still around, he had some thoughts on that. Uh, but Jesus is there. He's got an angel like strengthening him. I sort of imagine that angel kind of laying hands on him and praying for him, just like we do for one another in church. And says, so even with that, he was in agony. He was praying very fervently, and sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. This is Jesus who knew he was about to be raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. But in that space and in that moment, he was entering into his situation, and he knew that he was going to, as God, creator of the universe, endure some pain for his people. But wouldn't you say Jesus is the most secure person who's ever walked the planet? So it's not about a disconnect emotionally, but it's not really about an ability to stay aloof from uh, the emotions of others or from ourselves either, completely. <clears throat> 
right? So rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. It's not just about our own emotions, that there's something about us connecting with that of others. Um, But is it about being perfectly at the mercy of your emotions at all times? Right? So we want to be connected emotionally. That's, That's part of being secure as people. But is it about being completely ruled by your emotions? And we know it's not that either. Uh, we look at David, and, and we just see this all over the scriptures. But I love this one little piece in Psalm 43. And this is David talking to himself. He's saying, why so downcast, oh my soul, put your hope in God. How many of you heard that old like song? Nobody, because I'm so old. Um, but why so downcast? Like, why the unease within me? David's questioning himself. He's talking to himself, Right? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You could talk to yourself. Like he's telling himself to act a certain way. Like, soul, why are you so downcast? Well, I don't know, David. I'm, uh, I'm really upset about uh, the people that are making accusations against me. Oh, okay, well, you know, soul, maybe you could just like... Just, just, just a thought. I don't want to really put too much on you, soul. But soul, could you just maybe put your hope in God? That would be great, soul. David's having a conversation with himself. Put your hope in God. And we do that. with our, and, and that's an okay thing to do, right? That's an okay thing to do. I remember, I mean, I've told you this story. If you've been here for a long time, mercy. Uh, uh, sorry, you have to hear it again. But I remember, this is in Bible college. And I'm, uh, I'm, I've got a roommate like, who's a wonderful guy that Jesus loves so much that was super annoying. Um, thankfully, I was never super annoying. Um, but he would come in late. I'd be trying to sleep, and he'd be clattering his fan and banging around and making so much noise. And he was just kind of one of these like, people that was not aware of the other humans around him, just like not a considerate person. And, uh, and I'm judging him, and I know that's totally, I'm just telling the story. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, all that stuff that we talk about. And he comes, and he's, uh, we're in the class. We're in a class together, and he's standing behind me, and the teacher is like, let's just worship God before. Because it's Bible school. And sometimes you worship God before your class. And this guy is right behind me. He's like, bah, 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 bah. and I'm trying to focus on Jesus. I'm like, and we sing actually this song. Why so downcast, oh, my soul, put your hope in God. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I just need to focus on you. Just let this guy go. And as we're worshiping, he popped my knee out from under me. Anybody ever done that? You just have your knees locked. And he just pops, pops your knee out from under you. And you stumble back. In the middle of worship, in the middle of Bible class, I whipped around and punched him. I whipped around and nailed him. And then the repentance uh, began from from that point. Uh, But, uh, right? Like, we need to deal with uh, stuff at a really real level here. Um, There's a way in which we... We, we learn how to uh, encourage ourselves. We see this uh, in, in 1 Corinthians as Paul teaches about tongues. Like, we're given tools for this, right? It says, the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself. We're in a charismatic church, so I can talk about tongues. That's okay. Hope you're all right with that. Uh, if you're here and you're new to Christianity and to charismatic uh, experience, the gift of tongues is a, a gift of speaking really a, a bit of a mystery but a spiritual language in terms of uh, a prayer language you talk to God that's not English it's in the scriptures we could have a conversation about it but that gift is given uh, so that you can encourage yourself 
And, and oftentimes when I'm in a place of, of struggle, a place of pain, I, I just remember that. And I, and I ask God to, uh, to, to help me. Uh, I have the gift of tongues and I say, Lord, I'm going to just pray. And I begin to pray in tongues. And, and there is something about that experience that as a person lifts you. There's something about uh, the, your perceptions that change. It's a tool that God has given us uh, to, to grow ourselves. So we're not purely subject to our emotions. We're not wallowing in them. There's a way of walking in them. Again, if you have any questions about that, that sounds super weird to you if you're a new Christian. Uh, feel free to talk to me uh, about it. But it's an amazing, wonderful gift that has uh, literally saved my bacon hundreds of times. It's an incredible gift. Paul, the apostle, says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's, it's a gift to be valued. And if it's a gift that you want, it's a gift that you could ask the Lord for. Uh, it's, it's a blessing. Um, so it, it's not about being perfectly uh, at the mercy of your emotions. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Oh, dang. <laughs> that doesn't sound like trials and joys go together in the same sentence. But that word consider is so interesting in this, uh, in this verse because it's like, it's not just think about it as joy. Uh, that word has uh, um, a connotation of digesting it as joy, as internalizing your trials as joy. As you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So we look at trials and we look at pain and we look at struggle, uh, things that are seemingly making us feel insecure as humans as things that are potentially transformative. So some security comes for us just in knowing that there's a process that's going on in our lives that changes us from who we are to who God wants us to be as we, uh, as we looked at in that scripture earlier. And then there's these so many verses, be not dismayed, do not fear. There are ways that God tells us sometimes how to feel feeling fearful well don't stop it right there's a way in which god calls us uh, to respond to his voice so what do you do with all of this because we've talked a lot about uh, what security isn't here how do we find true security uh, first as as we've said here it's like oh my goodness we're lost There we go. Self-generated personal security is, is an illusion, right? That's what we've been talking about in these last uh, few moments, right? True security comes in your relationship with God. This little phrase we said that God tells us all the time, do not fear, it usually, there's usually more words after that. And these are what the words usually are. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. Emotional security doesn't come and can't really come. It can't ultimately be self-generated for us. It's not ultimately something that can come in isolation and independence. A security for us as humans always comes in relation to something that is secure. Uh, you can't be secure you know, when you're like floating and falling, you have to be secure. You're only secure when you're grounded on the rock, when you're connected to something that is solid. 
this other thought is really important. True security actually comes from being malleable. It comes from being uh, moldable. The ability to be confident that you are loved as God shapes you into what he means for you to be. How many of you know that you are not going to be the same person in five years as you are right now? So how can you be secure completely in who you are right now? You have to be secure in this incredible process of transformation that God has us in. But now, oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hands. That's a place of security. And that's something that I would love for us to walk away with an image of. Um, you, you can't be, you're not going to be secure as, as a rock, as a human being. But you can be secure as a human being, as a piece of clay in the Father's hands. He's going to push a little bit on here. He's going to reshape it. He's going to squish it a little bit. It's going to hurt a little. He's going to mold it. He's going to maybe take a carving knife and shave a little something off. There's other images in the scripture for this that are less fun than molded clay, like refining fire. Anybody like that one? Let's stick with the clay. Um, he's going to mold you. He's going to change you. But, but I just want you to imagine this incredible look of love and tenderness and gentleness in the heart of the Father as he does that. This process of being transformed is something that you can be secure in when your life is in his hands. See it all over the scriptures. Do not be conformed by, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to discern what is good, pleasing, and what is the perfect will of God. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself as being fully formed, right? Man, it's so hard to trust someone, and I really shouldn't trust myself whenever I think the work is done <laughs> in my life. Oh man, God just made me to be here. It's just so fantastic. This is exactly where I fit. I just feel the hands of the Father just molding and shaping me. There's something in me that still needs to be conformed. But think of yourself with sober judgment, a work in progress according to the measure of faith that God has given you. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, not have been transformed. We are being transformed into uh, his image. That's what he's molding you into with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you fail space molding of every kind. He just wants to grow you. That is something that you can be absolutely secure in, that he cherishes you, that he loves you, that he wants to make you new. And the other thing you can be really secure in and confident in is the model after which we're being molded, which is, of course, Jesus himself. Talk about an, an image. Talk about a person to be made like. The most influential person who ever walked the planet. The wisest person who ever walked the planet. 
the kindest person who ever walked the planet, the most compassionate person who ever walked the planet. That's, that's a guy that I can want to be molded into. That's an okay hero for me. He wants to change us into that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So who do I want to be? I want to be an ENTP3393DI who is kind. I want to be an eight with a seven wing who's gentle. Or a seven with an eight wing who has self-control. We just want to be like him. Stand. Lord, we want to have uh, an absolute sense of security as clay in your hands. I love the incredible uh, building blocks, the incredible starting point, the God-given personality and culture and uh, amazing things that you've uh, started each one of us with, our emotional makeup our intellectual makeup, our histories, all of those things, Father, uh, that we know have come from you. We're so thankful for our journeys. But we want to find our true security in your process on where we go from here. Would you make us absolutely confident in your ability to make something uh, wonderful? absolutely confident in your uh, incredible skill and loving touch in our lives. We surrender ourselves to you again. Would you let every person here just feel... uh, in the deepest part of them and know in the smartest part of them the incredible affection of God. Your incredible commitment to them. Thank you so much for loving us. Would you take us and use us here, uh, use us in the ends of the earth, Craft us to be whatever we need to be obediently in whatever situation we need to be. We're putty in your hands, God. We trust you with our futures. Take away all of our anxiety and fear. We trust you, Lord. Come do this work in us by the power of your spirit.
Lord, could you just give us a, a little gift? Each one of us here to have uh, just a vision of the next step for us in our lives of being conformed more to your image. Would you just reveal to us uh, a little piece of your agenda for us? Just a gift of not being too surprised by uh, the transformation that's coming for us. Speak to your kids. Give us confidence in you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you.